Welcome to the Lake Superior Podcast. I'm Walt Lindela. And I'm Frida Wara. We are made stronger by story, and there's no better source than the continent's largest body of fresh water, Lake Superior. So join us as we highlight the five national parks that ring this greatest of the Great Lakes, meet the people, tour the places, and learn about the projects that make these parks and body of water so remarkable. This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. You know, Walt, Lake Superior, our big blue out there, it is such an amazing body of water. And of course, around it are some of the most amazing National Park properties. So we have five National Park properties on Lake Superior, and we can start on the east end with Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore, and there's Keweenaw National Historical Park, there's Apostle Islands National Lakeshore, and then, of course, Grand Portage National Monument. And out of those five, the one that really does carry the National Park name, it is one of the National Parks, not just a National Park property, is Isle Royal. Yes. And we get a chance to meet Denise Swanke today, who is the superintendent there, and she's been there since last August. Well, hello, Denise. Welcome to the program. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure not only to be with you both today, but to be here in Michigan and working for Isle Royal National Park. Well, let's start right there. I mean, you came to the park in August. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about maybe your background, your career with the National Park Service, and how it got you to this to, to this remote location? Sure, it's. <laughs> I will. I will do that. You might want to do some. Uh, be careful what you ask for. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's been a long and windy road in, in some ways. But, uh, you know, Isle Royal has its own mystique in, uh, in the National Park Service world. It's just, uh, at least in the lower 48, it's, it's out there, right? And it's not one of the big western landscape parks, but it still has wilderness. And so it's really, it's a unique and special place that I've been interested in for a very, very long time, although I had never been here mm. uh, until until this last fall, but in terms of kind of my path and how I got here, um, the first national park that I had the pleasure of working at was Zion National Park in southern Utah, and it was, um, you know, one of those things you look back on and think, oh, well, that was a summer job, and here I am almost <laughs> 30 years later, mm-hmm. um, but it's the, the, the places I've worked have have just been incredible. This is the eighth, I think, place that I've been at, and I'll, I'll try to quickly just run through those. Um, uh, Zion was the first, and then I, I did go to work for the Bureau of Land Management in Moab, Utah, so I crossed from southwestern Utah to southeastern Utah and found myself there for about a decade. I met my husband, Steve, there, and um, he worked for Canyonlands National Park at that time, and we lived in Canyonlands. Um, and then we journeyed from Moab, which we never thought we would leave, actually, but somebody said, Steve, you have to apply for this Rangers, Rangers dream job in Yellowstone. You're the guy. And he did, and so we ended up moving to Yellowstone. Um, and and Montana kind of became our, our nucleus for a while um, in the, the Yellowstone years and beyond. Um, 
I he retired from Yellowstone, and then I went on to work in Grand Canyon National Park. Uh, both of those parks I worked on really hot topics at the time, um, big big issues, at winter use management in Yellowstone, and then uh, over management of air tours and oversights at Grand Canyon National Park. So pretty high-profile things, and the reason I'm detouring a little bit here on this path is when I was working in Yellowstone on the issue of winter use, it included um, collaborating with others and trying to find the a way for multiple types of recreation opportunities in the park. Of course, one of those is snowmobiles. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was quite a a time of controversy, and the park is now, I think, in a a good place, as I understand it, although I haven't been back to visit in a long time. But I had the chance to come to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and be a judge in something called the Queen Snowmobile Challenge, which is hosted here at Michigan Tech University. And so that was my introduction to the Keweenaw National Historical Park. Holy smokes, it blew me away when I came up here. And uh, I would work at the Clean Snowmobile Challenge during the day and, uh, and be a judge for academic presentations and also for, um, you know, performance kinds of things, uh, air quality, um, how, how much could a electric snowmobile pull, for example, or how far can it go on if it's operated by batteries or things like that. Um, but anyway, I brought my skis the second time I came up <laughs> to do that judging. Good girl. So that when yeah. I got out of work, I could, I could get in a, a, a skiing in the dark. It was the first time I'd ever skied on groomed, uh, lit ski surfaces. So anyway, that's my little introduction to, uh, not to Isle Royal, but to, uh, to the Keweenaw. Uh, so from Green Canyon, I went on to work in the Washington office in D.C. for legislative and congressional affairs and um, really had a great time working there. It's my Of all the places I've lived in my life, that's the place where spring is, oh, it just shines. It's such a such a beautiful place. But mm-hmm. I went from there, I became superintendent at Little Bighorn Battlefield National monument in Montana where we still owned a home and my husband had been ever since he retired from Yellowstone days. So, um, so that was nice to be within three or four hours of home, but, um, I had always had this dream of working in Alaska. And so one day that opportunity came along and, um, as you know, I came here from Denali National Park and Preserve. So that was, um, a, a real, highlight to be able to go up there and, and work and explore. It's Iditarod season right now, so it's uh, it's on Denali and Alaska are definitely on my mind. Mm-hmm. That just kicked off Sunday. But anyway, that's that's still the medium-length answer to how I got <laughs> from uh, northwest Oregon, where I grew up, to here in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We're talking with uh, Denise Swanke, who is the superintendent of Isle Royal uh, National Park, Uh I have to ask you this. I mean, it's about 206 square miles. You can only get there by boat or seaplane. It's about 70 miles north of where your office is on the mainland. What are the challenges that this presents for your job? How do you address the things that are are there daily? That's a good question. I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's not 
other parks as as maybe people think. So, you know, going back to a um, Green Canyon example, for it's it's a five or six hour drive depending on who's driving, I guess, to go from the south room to the north room of the canyon. It's all one national park. Um, so, you know, large distances in, in some of those places, even some of the East Coast Parkways, is not uncommon. But um, and, and even places like uh, Katmai National Park in Alaska, where they have um, seasonal operations where you have to haul everything out by boat, right, and then haul it back in the, mm-hmm. in the fall and shut things down for the winter. But I think what's really unique here is, I mentioned it's got that mystique, right, and that draw for people from all over. And and you can see it, right? If you're in Grand Portage, you can see Isle Royal. If you're in different places around um, the lake, you might be able to think you see it, at least out on the horizon. Um, but it really, it does take a lot of effort. It takes a lot of pre-planning. And places like um, Pictured Rocks and so many of our parks during the covid environment um, became places of refuge, and we we saw all kinds of new visitors and different demographics of people coming to parks that they could access safely with their own families and, you know, just drive to and check out new places. That's not an easy thing to do in a place like Isle Royal where you have to get on a boat or a plane to get out there, and mm. so you have to plan mm. in advance, and I, I think that that um, there are other parks that, that definitely have those same kinds of challenges uh, accessing the park, but um, but at Isle Royal, the you know there's also limitations in terms of um, not just how to get there, but then the you know it's there's limited lodging, there's limited camping, and so it it, it takes a lot of you got to want to go there, <laughs> and, and there's if so many. Come Wanting to go there, Denise, absolutely. There are so many people that do want. Last year, it was a little limited. Can you can you tell us, I mean, are you still on schedule to open April 16th? And ca- can we get to the island this year? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'll try to answer that in a couple different parts, but pull me back if I, if I get going down one too far. Um, certainly one of the really great things that's come out of the last year is uh, not just at Isle Royal, although I, I would definitely acknowledge the, the great work folks are doing there. There's a lot of new content in terms of um, social media and um, web-based education programs and things that Perks are doing, including Isle Royal. So for people who aren't able to get to some place that they've always wanted to visit, there's more virtual visit opportunities than ever. So I I, I just have to put that plug in because it's really been great sure. um, to see here and elsewhere. But in terms of, yes, if, if this is your year and um, you're maybe trying to reschedule from last year or, or just dreaming about what might be possible for this year, the park will still have some limitations this year. Of course, we have to do everything we can to keep our staff and our visitors healthy, and that involves some CDC guidelines about mask wearing and things like that. Social distancing will apply in some situations. Uh, certainly not a concern if you're hiking on a trail all by yourself, but um, maybe in a campground, for example, sure. you might have to do things a little bit differently. But the park will be open, 
certainly, and um, we're still working out some of the details about visitor centers and whether there will be any, you know, there'll probably be some limitations in terms of indoor types of offerings, but last year for people who were able to come out to the island, we had um, staff at Rock Harbor and Windigo, for example, who were able to uh, greet visitors and help with permits and things like that, um, whether it's a day trip for you or whether it's um, an annual. I met one gentleman last September. It was, uh, I think, year number. He said he, he said it was year number 13, and then I think he didn't want it to be an unlucky number. So <laughs> he said, maybe it's 14. <laughs> yeah, we'll call <laughs> it 14. 14. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're... Yeah. we're uh, so, so there is opportunity. Yep. We're we're talking with uh, Denise Schwanke, who is the superintendent of Isle Royal uh, National Park. Of course, uh, what we're hearing from you, Denise, is you know you have a real love for this uh, this this park and and this region and this area. Visiting the park is very different than going to most national parks in terms of getting there. Um, what do you tell someone like, like myself? I'm aware of it. I've never been there. I've never been there. I'm a first timer. Um, what do you tell them? And and then also maybe what are some must see and do things to do at Isle Royal? Well, I haven't done probably most of them yet myself, so I don't know that I'm good on the must do or uh, those kinds of things. But I think you know, for any first-time visit, it's worth doing your, your research a little bit. Um, I know for some people, uh, trip planning is a pleasure, and for other people, trip planning is a pain. But uh, when you're going to someplace as hard to get to as Isle Royal, I think it really is a smart thing to do a little bit of research on the front end and make sure that you have everything with you that you need, whether that's medication or uh, your favorite book or uh, something to do because your cell phone isn't going to work. That's a big thing. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it is. I think that that's, uh, that's one of the gems of the park is that, uh, is that you are in a wilderness location once you're outside of a, a developed area like Rock Harbor. And, and so, you know, you, you preparing to be in a place that sets the tempo rather than you being the one who sets the tempo is, mm. is part of the trip planning and part of the joy of visiting a place like Isle Royal, right? You're going to perhaps have an experience that's different from anything that you've seen before where your senses are, are um, really tuning in to all the you know, maybe you're not aware that the lake makes a lot of noise. <laughs> maybe you haven't heard uh, the birds singing in a while if you live in a city environment. Um, so, I, so I think there's a lot of preparation that you can do, both logistically, but I think just preparing yourself for, for what kind of experience it is that you want to have and what you can and should expect out of that. And And I think it's really incredible that places like Isle Royal, you know, we've, we've been talking as an agency in the National Park Service, certainly since our centennial, and emphasizing the, the regenerative value and the, the recharge that people can get from a place, any of the, you know, Frida, I think you mentioned all five of the National Parks of Lake Superior, and, and that can come from any of those, but in a place like Isle Royal, it just 
requires you to uh, to give a little extra to get all of those uh, incredible benefits. But you know, the the recreating responsibly. Uh, that's a hashtag you're going to see all over the place. I'm sure if you haven't already, that's that's really important in a place like this. That's um, where you're at the whim of Mother Nature. So, <laughs> and and boy, are you ever! I I love that you are just underlining and capitalizing pre-planning, and not only just the pre-planning, but. Try those boots on. Wear those boots for a month. Don't go get new boots before you go to hike. And I I have to share one of the stories. My husband and I circumnavigated in our kayaks a few years back, and we got around to Huggin and Cove, and there was this really sweet little gal. She had just come by herself. She wanted to really be brave and be camping by herself, and she bought a stove quickly before she came and she was from Minnesota. She bought a stove at REI, thought she had gotten the right propane canisters. Hmm. And here's this poor gal. She had, you know, bought all these canisters. They didn't match up. We knew we were fine. You know, we had some extras and we helped her out with that. But just the simple thing, set your tent up, make sure you've got everything because you're not going to get somebody to go to the store to bail you out. I mean, other campers, you know, it's a great camaraderie once you get over there, but you're absolutely right. Be really prepared and understand that the weather rules. We thought we were making great time coming around and we got to Huggenin. And of course, from Huggenin to Little Todd Harbor is one of the trickiest paddle sections because of the cliffs there. And as soon as we arrived at Little Todd, we, we made, you know, beat feet to get there. And <laughs> we were 36 hours in the rain. And um, oh it's a good thing we, we you know, it was our, I, I believe it was our 35th wedding anniversary that we were doing this uh, paddle on. Good thing we got along together and we had a good <laughs> deck of cards uh, to play some two-handed euchre. But, you know, just be no, aware no. that the weather will rule. There's not a way to get out it of it. Will. You know, Deaton, Denise, I think that what Frida brings up there is really important. And we're talking with uh, Denise Swanky, who is the superintendent of Isle Royal National Park, is that to pre-plan for it, be ready for it, um, but also be, I guess, not just prepared for it, but be sort of with the gear, but be mentally prepared for it because it is going to be different. That's probably a challenge, isn't it? You probably hear from first-timers going, oh, the cell phone won't work or I can't be reached right away or whatever, but you have infrastructure that people shouldn't like, you know, be worried or freaked out by this. They should be like, let's go there. You have structures in place that at least you will help out if need be. So it shouldn't be daunting, but it should be something to be prepared for. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on a a couple things. I think uh, one of the, yeah, one of the points I was trying to make is, is, the logistical prep, right? Like, Frida, you're talking about, like, this is not the time to try out the mm-hmm. new stove, the new boots, or uh, an old raincoat um, <laughs> <laughs> that might leak. But it is a time to be open to new experiences, you know, to, to mentally and emotionally. You're going to, something on your trip is going to surprise you. And hopefully that's a good surprise and not a fuel canister that doesn't work <laughs> on your stove. But, um but yeah, we do have, um, and I, again, this is true in, in so many of our parks, and part of the reason why the trip planning can really pay off, like if you think about what kind of experience you're really ready to take on, if if this is a whole new thing for you, maybe you've never been camping, then 
maybe you want to do a day trip, or maybe you want to come to the lodge and stay there, yeah. or yeah. come and, and do a base, like, camp at Windigo out of the campground there and just do day hikes rather than making this your first backpacking trip. Or maybe you have a friend or a family member you can travel with who has backpacking experience or kayaking experience or something that that they can uh, mentor you and, and make this a better experience than if you tried it that first out for you um, all by yourself. But, you know, first-time first experiences can be some of the best things in hindsight, but they don't feel that way necessarily in the moment, do they? We're talking with Denise Swanke, who is the superintendent of Isle Royal uh, National Park, and uh, that's, Denise, I wanted to tie into that. This is relatively new for you to be there. Uh, we like to ask mm-hmm. a lot of the folks with the parks when we talk to them about, you know, something that you may have, like a gem that you've discovered that, just one of these things, a place that others may not know about or something, but I'm really interested in your perspective as you're really kind of discovering this as others are right now. Tell us, tell me a little bit about that. Tell us, you know, obviously what you're looking forward to as we're going into summer season and everything, but what are some of the things that you're just discovering now about Isle Royal that makes it so special? You know, one of the things um, that's happened this winter is we had the, um, and I'll probably get the wording wrong because I'm not looking it up right now, but the Mingong uh, National Historic Landmark was just designated this winter. And so I'm really interested, having done just a little bit of reading about that um, and, and knowing that some of our staff have been working on um, that recognition for quite a while, I'm excited to get out to the island and see some of those historic copper mining sites on the ground. I think that will be really interesting and, um, yeah, so that's one of the things I'm looking forward to. I am looking, we're getting new sea kayaks, so um, that'll be fun and something I'm definitely looking forward to. I'm, I've been hearing a lot of fog stories. <laughs> yeah. so, oh, oh honey, not, I got I'm, some of those. I'm looking forward to that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think everybody has a, has a weather-related story of some kind. You know, I had the opportunity to just be out on the island um oh we got there september 1st i guess and um and then came off with the the uh facilities management staff at the um like the third week in october last year so i was out there for about six weeks and um really got to see amazing fall colors and got to do some canoeing and great hiking and um, just looking forward to, to having more time to do all of those things. Like I, I mentioned, I've got my, um, here in my little home office, <laughs> which is, you can't see me doing air quotes of my office, but um, <laughs> I have my uh, park map, my, my uh, trail illustrated map, and I have my, my hiking guide and my uh, foot trails and water routes and just doing a lot of a lot of dreaming about places to go. I did one um, one trip last, I think it was early October. It was uh, rough seas for half mm. the day. I remember that. But I, I did get to go. All, somebody else drove me in a boat all the way around the island once, um, making a few stops to, to see a couple places along the way. The destination was Windigo, but um, fortunately I had somebody who um, had worked there for many, many years and... Um, graciously showed me around uh, amygdaloid and uh, 
Yeah, so that was fun. And the lighthouses, I'm looking forward. I only got to see the Rock Harbor Lighthouse last fall, um, which was amazing, uh, looking at that and some of the restoration work that, that we need to do there. But I want to get out and see see the rest of those lighthouses as well. So so I don't have a gym yet other than the, um, you know, every night after dinner, my husband and I would just go for a real short little walk out to the lakeshore and ah, just breathe and, and enjoy the, the view. It's so different every day, just depending on which direction the wind was from and how much of it there was. <laughs> you know, were the, were the ducks out floating about or was it beavers tonight um, flapping their tails on the pond? So, yeah, I'm, I, just the pace of, of life. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the island in the, the summer. We're talking with Denise Swanky, who is the superintendent of the Isle Royale National Park out in Lake Superior. Uh, you know, Denise, for people that maybe have questions, they want to see a little bit more information, maybe some of the uh, amenities that are available, what's the best way to get more information about uh, the park? Well, the first place I would go would be uh, nps.gov, and then you do the front slash, and then the abbreviation for Isle Royal is ISRO. So that's the that's the fast way. Of course, you can just type out Isle Royal, and uh, you can get to it a number of ways. But that's what I do: nps.gov, and then Isle Royal or ISRO, and that will have the most recent information that we have. You can go there for press releases and all kinds of things. Um, We're working on a backcountry camping map is getting updated, and um, there's links there to help you get all the different um, transportation options and lodging and all of that. Um, We don't manage any of those sites with our partners, but the links to get to them are available on our site. So, so that's where I would start. And Denise, we cannot finish a, a chance to chat with you without saying, is there anything that you can tell us about wolf pups? Anybody? It sounds like we might have some. Um, there's been some dating going on, it sounds like, over there since we did the relocation. But is there anything that you can share with us about what you're looking forward to this summer and how the winter study shaped up? Well, um, you're, you might not like this answer, but... Um, yeah, the the wolf um, the wolf work is ongoing, thanks in part to National Parks and Lake Superior Foundation, of course. So we thank you for that support. Um, I don't have. You, you might find this hard to believe, but we did a press release last. I think it was in September, and that is the most recent uh, information still because of COVID. We were not able to do winter study this year, and so. Unfortunately, um, we are waiting, like everyone else in the world who's paying attention to wolves and moose on Isle Royal. Uh, we're waiting for the for the ice to go away and for uh, boats to be able to, to get out and take our, our research staff. Um, they'll be doing work this spring, you know, scat collection and things like that, trying to, to do some coloring on uh, wolves. Um, if we're successful, I'm sure we'll be able to provide some more information about that. But, um, but right now we trying to. I think the number in that September press release was around 14 or 15 um, wolves. That was the best 
uh, best estimate. So, yeah, I, I think the reintroduction has gone well, um, and there's still still a lot unknown. We've still got a couple more years under the environmental impact statement that was done that would allow us to do some additional uh, relocation of additional wolves to help build that gene pool back up. Um, but no no new news in 2021. <laughs> well, it's like with everything else, we're kind of just yeah. evolving through things right now. Denise, uh, you're, you're passion and enjoyment and respect of the park has really come through in this conversation i really enjoyed having you on for a few minutes with us talking about it i mean it's just it you have a love for the park and as the superintendent that really is an important factor i think and certainly you know i it's really been enjoyable for frida and i to hear you talking about how you're going to discover it yourself and and we thank you today for your time and I definitely want to get much. in a, I'll get in a kayak with you and we'll go around to Belle Isle. <laughs> but uh, we're going to pick our day before we go around Blake's Point. That's for sure. We got to be smart about that one. But uh, to oh, go down yeah. to Daisy Farm, that'll be beautiful. You bet. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. This has been a good conversation day. I really enjoyed it uh, with Denise. And uh, we want to remind you that, of course, you can find out more about uh, the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation, all of the parks. Do some Google searching. Look for it. And uh, happy to get you some more information. That's going to wrap it up for us this time. I'm Walt Lindela. Frida Wara. Thank you for listening to our National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation podcast. The National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation, NPLSF, is the only official nonprofit 501c3 fundraising partner of the National Park Service for all five U.S. National Park sites on Lake Superior. To learn more about NPLSF projects and programs, you can visit the website at nplsf.org or friend them on Facebook. I'm Frida Wara. And I'm Walt Lindela. Thanks for listening to the Lake Superior Podcast. This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications.